Hello and welcome back to Life Changes You. I'm Daniel and Happy New Year. We're now in 2022 and this is Series 2 of the podcast. The first series ran for 140 episodes and this one will probably just run to the end of the year and then we'll start Series 3. But we're, we're into our third year now of Life Changes You and in the beginning I didn't think we would get past probably a few months but it's been growing and growing and lots of people are listening and it's great to get your feedback. I love it when you send me emails or direct messages on my Instagram which is life underscore changes you underscore podcast. Um, there's over 100,000 people following there and that's daily updates on positive stuff that's happening, um, positive quotes and uh, affirmations. So if you haven't checked it out, go and have a look there. Um, I'm also on Facebook at Life Changes You Podcast. So Last year, I want to give a big thank you to everyone who came on board and was a guest. There were so many of you. I'm not going to name all of you individually, but we did have people like Connor who spoke about male anorexia and bullying and how he was able to turn his life around. I spoke to Derek uh, from Young Alcoholic who talked about his life and how his life has changed since he's given up alcohol. I spoke with End the Silent Epidemic, which was about youth suicide awareness and how we can prevent youth suicide. There was just so many people. There was Autism Awareness Australia who came on board and spoke about autism in Australia and how you can get uh, help through your first year once someone's diagnosed with autism. There was Arts Project Australia who spoke about disability and art. So many, so many people and so many more coming this year. We've got in the next few weeks today, we've got the Child Rescue Coalition who have developed technology that can help prevent uh, child abuse and predators uh, preying on young children. So I'll give you a bit more information about that in a minute. We've also got Soul Healer coming back. She was on last year. That's Veronica Parks. And she talks about many things around, um, well, she is an NLP practitioner, but she talks about uh, how we uh, heal the soul and how we are able to uh, focus more on our lives when we focus less on what's bad and when we focus more on what's good. I've also got Chad Nelson coming back. Uh, last year, we spoke about imposter syndrome, and this time he's come back to talk about obsessive self-reflection, which is actually quite an important topic. Uh, when he, he and I were discussing it before we did the podcast, we're told to reflect on our lives and work out what's working and what's not. Uh, but apparently people do become obsessed with self-reflection and what they should and shouldn't be doing. So that's a really good topic to listen to too. I've also got Lex Van Man, who was the senior investigator on the cult of the family, which was a, a cult here in Australia uh, back in the 70s through to the 90s. And the leader of that cult was Anne Hamilton Byrne. So he's really good to listen to and find out, I guess, an inside edge on what happened with that family. Uh, it was about um, raising children the way they wanted to, and it was about illegal adoptions and things like that. So that'll be really interesting. That's coming up in the next week or two. So today we've got Child Rescue Coalition. Their technology stops children or helps law enforcement to protect children from online predators and predators in real life. So I hope you enjoy this conversation I had. Uh, I also just wanted to say that there are some sensitive things that are talked about in this uh, podcast about child abuse and child predators. So I just wanted to give you that warning in case that's something that you don't want to listen to. Other than that, let's have a great year ahead. Lots of great guests coming on. I've got some really big special guests coming up in the next month, and I can't wait to share those podcasts with you. If you want to be on a podcast and you've got a topic that you think will be relatable uh, to what we talk about here, uh, please send me an email or message me on either uh, Instagram or via the website, which is lifechangesyou.com.au. You can also listen to all the podcasts previously that I've played. It's 140 at the moment, so you can go back and have a look at what you want to listen to. But at www.lifechangesyou.com.au, 
you can you can listen to all of them there or we're on apple we're on spotify we're on google podcasts so until i speak to you again enjoy this year enjoy the new topics that are coming up and we've got lots of guests for you thank you Hello and welcome to Life Changes You. I'm Daniel. I hope you've had a great week. We've had lots of great people on the podcast over the last two years, um, but this one is really uh, special to me because I've wanted to speak to someone who knows something about uh, child abuse, uh, physical, sexual, because I think it's a story that we need to get out there and we need people to be more understanding of the things that they're putting on Facebook and Instagram, any social media about their children. And we also need to highlight what happens around the world so that we can put a stop to this sort of thing. So today I have Carly Yost, uh, who's the founder and CEO of Child Rescue Coalition. So how are you, Carly? Great. I appreciate you having me here today and and talking about this subject. It, It can be a difficult one to talk about. But really, I hope that we bring some hopefulness to this big problem of really being able to be proactive and and putting a stop to this kind of abuse. And it's fantastic what you're doing. And as you just said, you know, it, it needs to be highlighted. There are certain topics that I've covered, especially over the last year, like suicide, child abuse. And there's sort of things that when the ratings, not ratings, when when uh, the an- analytics come up for each podcast, they're the ones that people tend to shy away from. And I think it's because people don't actually like to acknowledge that these things happen. It can be that way, where it's just too difficult of a topic for some people to listen to. A lot of times people are victims themselves, and it can be yeah. triggering for them to hear about. Uh, but more and more, I'm encouraged that people are willing to talk about this type of crime. Uh, 10 years ago, we had a hard time filling a room and even telling people what we did. And people's wow. reaction sometimes was, no, this is just too much for me to hear about. Yeah. Uh, but in the last few few years, I would say I'm really encouraged with how many people are realize how much of it is going on. They're willing to talk about, about it. And, and more than that, they're willing to fight against it. Um, so it's really encouraging to see that. Oh, look, it is. And I guess recently one of the big names that has come out was Jeffrey Epstein and, you know, and all the celebrities that, well, whether they were involved or weren't involved, we're not sure yet and I I doubt we'll ever know. But someone like that with all that power and being able to, I guess, hide uh, hide away what they're doing. I mean, because he was even a convicted, um, uh, yeah, sex offender, um, and then he was released and he continued to do what he was doing. So, yeah, you know. that really was a shocking case. And, and it happened here in South Florida where we're based. Oh, OK. Uh, yeah. So he, he lived in Palm Beach County and apparently there were people for years bringing, um, you know, stories and cases about this guy. And, I you know, law enforcement not doing anything about it. Um What really blew my mind when all the details about that case came about is when I think about child abuse and child exploitation, usually it's a type of crime where it's one offender. They may be abusing so many children, but it's not something that they talk about or they have people working with them. It's usually their deep, dark secret. They're Mm -hmm. grooming children and abusing them, but really it's not a public thing. But to see what Epstein did, he had parties, he had friends, he had you know celebrities that attended these events, and really a whole group of people that was really covering up for those actions. Yeah, uh, it just really blew my mind because that's not typically how these type of cases work, and it shows what money and power and celebrity uh, bring to a situation, and what people are willing to overlook and not expose when money and power and politics come into it. And and you're completely right because, yeah, the money seemed to be a big factor in that because when charges, well, not charges, but uh, things came up about Jeffrey, uh, it seemed to be that he was paying people off to put things under the carpet or paying big lawyers to be able to get rid of it. Um, And also uh, I think in one of the documentaries I saw on it, um, they were sort of trying to blame the child Um, that they'd coerced into doing what they're doing and saying, but they got paid, you know, and it's like, 
do you not understand what not just the legal ramification of what you're doing is, but what you're doing to someone who isn't able to make that choice, who isn't aware of what is actually happening, and they're being coerced into something that they don't even know what the future ramifications for them are? Yeah, I saw victims in that same documentary that you're talking about uh, talk about how they found victims and maybe it wasn't even just motivated by money, but they found victims so they could stop being raped themselves. And oh, when you think about like, how powerful that is, like, yeah. how could you blame that person who's really trapped and being like held captive in this situation um, for you know, you can't blame them for the sex abuse that happened and really can't blame them for being controlled to be to find more victims for them. And and probably after all this was sorted and, you know, he'd gone to jail, some of those ones who had got other people to fill in the space so they could not be doing that anymore would probably look at this and go, wow, I had no idea what I was actually doing. You know, I was just I was just trying to stop it happening to me. Right. Right. And. Yes, I think we all realize when we become adults, too, we have no grasp of how sometimes inappropriate things are when we're children. Like it takes adults to realize how really messed up a situation can be or looking back on it to understand that you weren't of an age appropriate level to even understand the situation going on. So, yeah, I really don't think people should be blaming the victims or underage children in those situations. It's really um him who was responsible for it and the adults that were enabling it and those around him because yeah you know i mean some of those victims now could be in their 20s but at the time they were manipulated into something they didn't understand and they shouldn't be blamed for what happened back then because they just did what they were manipulated into doing And, and he seems like he was a really powerful man with some powerful people around him And, you know, sometimes when you get into a situation when you're a child, you actually don't know how to get out of it. So you just go along with it because you're too scared to try and get out of it. Right. And And the shame that would go along with it, you know, that I'm going to tell your parents if you say anything, well, I don't want my parents to know this. Yeah, that's absolutely what I was just going to say is that predators are so good at making the victim feel like it it was part of their fault or they had something to do with it. And so... The victim doesn't want to expose it either as much as the predator wants to keep it a secret. The victim does too. And it, it unfortunately really benefits the predator to, you know, use scare tactics or, you know, make the victims feel so shameful about it that they don't want to come forward. They don't want to expose the situation. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, look, I guess that's enough about Jeffrey Epstein. Tell me about what you do with the child rescue coalition, because you've got technology, um, and you help law enforcement track down predators and online material, which is a fantastic initiative, something that really needs to, to be happening to stop this continuing. Yeah. So Child Rescue Coalition is a nonprofit organization. We're based in South Florida, but we work on a global scale. We yeah. we have our technology that's being used in all 50 states and actually 97 countries across the globe. And we allow law enforcement to get trained, to use and have access to our technology all around the world. Um, And it's free and available to them. And what this technology does is we track people that are trading illegal child sexual abuse material images. So either videos, uh, pictures of the sexual abuse of very young children. So the federal definition of um, that kind of material here in the United States is actually anyone under the age of 18 um, and most countries around the world, anywhere that has laws on the books um, around that crime type. Uh, But we actually go to even a a more harsh threshold uh, where we're looking at images and videos of children 12 and younger. And oftentimes we see these predators and computers um, who are exposing their IP addresses uh, and our computers are digitally writing it down and and taking those leads in. We see them trading hundreds, if not thousands of images um, and even extremely young children as young as infants and toddlers that that we're seeing them trade. So it's really it's not questionable material that, you know, 
should a person accidentally click on it, these are people who are purposefully going to areas of the internet, downloading hundreds and thousands of files. Um, and it's very young graphic abuse of very young children. But the most uh, compelling reason why you know, we want to get this technology in the hands of as many law enforcement as possible is that 85% of people who are online trading, viewing, and looking at this content have already hands-on abused a child. Right. So like we talked about before, a lot of times victims don't come forward. There's too much shame involved. Sometimes they're they're disabled and they're unable to tell or even too young to come forward with their abuse. Our technology provides a proactive way in identifying who these hands-on abusers are, leading law enforcement to the door and making the arrest of the, of the individual. And actually, to date, we've led to the arrest of over 13,100 child predators, uh, rescuing over 3,000 children directly from abuse. And that's amazing. That's really amazing. E- even saving one child is phenomenal. But the, the amount that you've saved is is really phenomenal. Yeah, it's, uh, it really is what, to me, like I said, the encouraging, the uh, positive part to shine a light on this dark subject is the fact that there is ways that we could be doing more, that we can be, you know, identifying these people or the best part is hopefully preventing future children from being abused. When we find that predator, take them off the street, make sure that they're no longer the coach, the teacher, uh, the, you know, the religious figure. Yeah. We're, we're putting a stop to their position of trust with children and hopefully preventing future victims from being victimized. And and that's the thing as well, isn't it, with a predator? Because probably a few months ago I saw on social media this picture of a guy, I don't know, 25, 30, handsome, well-dressed, and it said underneath, this guy is a predator, this guy has abused this amount of children, blah, 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 blah. And it took me a minute to go, wow, you know, because you always have in your head that, um, and I don't want to stereotype people, but the dirty old man, that's the person who's doing this. And it's not, is it? it's ev- it, not everybody, but it, it's lots of different variations of people. It's not your stock standard. It's only teachers. It's only religious um, vicars and priests. It's It's across the board, lots of different people. Yeah, absolutely. People have asked us to paint the picture of what the predator looks like, and you really can't. You can't age range. It it runs the gamut. Uh, Different, you know, whether they're they're wealthy or or not, or you know, just really all different types of people. And one common thing when these predators get caught is. Oftentimes they're married. Oftentimes they have a job and are known within their community. The one thing people always say is they never expected it. Nobody and sometimes them. they have children too. I mean, they haven't abused their children, but they're going out and abusing other children. So they right. are like a, a, a stereotypical family. Yes. Um, yeah. And oftentimes predators, yeah, there are many situations where they won't be abusing their own kids, but um, friends of their children yeah. or other children in the community. But unfortunately, there are the horrific you know, situations that we hear about a lot where it's the own family member. It's, the, it's their own dad or their own uncle abusing and even producing the imagery that we see being traded on these networks. Yeah. So when we talk about human trafficking, which is a horrible situation, and child sexual abuse. To me, there's no worse being uh, imprisoned than being born into a family where your predator lives within your own household. Yeah. Look, I spoke to a lady uh, last year from the F Word Project, and it's about forgiveness. And she spoke about how her brother was her monster that lived down the hall from when she was four to 15. Um, And then she sent me the book that she'd written and I read it and it was like the way she had written it was almost made me feel like I was in the room with her watching what was happening. And it was it was an insight to how someone um, is treated like that. But for her, the forgiveness part of forgiving her brother was it was incredible. 
you know, but yeah, so she lived down the down the hall from him and she said, you know, when he came home at night, I knew the monster was on his way, you know, and that must be awful for a child to know that, you know, you're, you're hoping that they don't come home that night. Yeah, absolutely heartbreaking and amazing for her to be able to find the forgiveness and yeah. really, you know, live a good life, not not being well see i still i still struggle like when i was telling you the story then in in my head i'm still torn between i could never forgive that person to how fantastic she is to forgive that person and i said to her at the time i i don't know how you do it but i i just feel that you, i'm overwhelmed with how you could forgive someone because in my brain it's almost in that part of unforgiveness and she yes. said no daniel but in time if you sat with it you would be able to turn it around that's really amazing i feel like i need to read that book because first for her to go through that um because yeah my brain kind of goes where yours does which yeah. is it's just would be so hard to forgive yeah so um, I was reading one of your stories in some of the um, paperwork you sent me. Uh, Facebook, Instagram, all these sort of things are, are places really where you don't want to be putting your child's photo, isn't it? And I know with friends of mine, I'm always seeing photos on a daily basis and I have said to a few of them, just have those photos as friends only. No one else can, you know, access your photos. And, and I was reading that there was a story about a mother whose daughter's photo was stolen and likeness was used on a child's sex doll. I mean, yeah. to me, I can't even, uh, and I was talking to my business partner yesterday, I was going, I don't even know how people think of that, but it, it happens. And, you know, as I said before, it's sort of beyond my grasp, but these things do happen. Yes, this what a mother came to us. It was last year um, and showed us the pictures of her daughter. And she was a mom and she admittedly her daughter was in pageantry. She put she had a large social media presence for her young daughter and uh, had a modeling career as well, but had a picture and had the daughter in normal clothes and everything and, and a certain hairstyle. And really this this doll had been made to replicate every exact portion of her. It was, it was uncanny um, and, and tragic and frightening. Uh, but we, we highlighted her story. We couldn't believe that it happened. It was really shocking. And, um, but even more shocking than the, the fact that someone had made the doll is that they're legal to be purchased wow. in the United States. So currently four States, uh, uh, do not allow the purchase and possession of a child sex doll. Uh, but the rest of the states allow it freely. You can order it on even Amazon oh was God. selling this doll that looked like her daughter and was made to look like her daughter. Uh, Amazon does, as soon as they find out that a seller is selling this, they remove it. Yeah. But it's like playing whack-a-mole where you one you can't goes, another one that. comes up. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so we we started a, a petition which received over 200,000 signatures to try to push for every state to not allow these dolls to be sold. Like, why would you have a child sex doll? Um, and, you know, it was it was kind of interesting. There were organizations that are kind of for the rehabilitation of predators saying, no, we should be allowing them and advocating for the sale of them. So, and Look, I, I can see that point to a point, but how does that actually help um, help someone? Because I would have thought if you had the inclination to want to have sex with children and you had a child sex doll, obviously the next step to that is reality. So yeah. how does that help in rehabilitation? Because I would have thought that would have made it go the other way. And that's that's really where our stance is, is that yeah. all, all of this, you know, there are some people out there who could advocate that child sexual abuse isn't abusing a real victim. Obviously, we don't believe that at all. There is a real victim involved yeah. that's, and it's highly illegal to possess. But what we do find is that the more they look at these images, the more they look at videos, the more they purchase child sex dolls, 
it's it's really becomes not enough for them. And soon yeah. live victims and real victims are are what becomes next. And then it's yeah. not just one, but 10. And, yeah. you know, the average predator, if not arrested or identified, will go on to abuse 50 to 150 victims in the course of their lifetime, yeah. which is just mind-blowing. Uh, so we really do, at, at Child Rescue Coalition, we believe that you know, all of this should be alerted to law enforcement. We should know who's ordering child sex dolls on our street. We should know who's looking at these abuse images that are illegal. Um, and, and law enforcement should be alerted to who they are. I watched a documentary um, a few years back about Japan and um, uh, like those cafes where they have girls dressed up in uniforms, school uniforms, and they dance on podiums and they'll sit and chat with you, blah, blah, blah. And it's supposed to be non-sexual and the girls are supposed to be over 18. But in the investigation, they found that some of them were 14, 15, 16, and that they were being asked to meet up with these guys after they'd left the cafe. Um, and yes, uh, I, I, I think uh, child abuse um, in Japan was only outlawed in like 1990 or 2000. It, it hasn't been a long time. And there's still those like anime uh, books that you can buy with young children in there in like short skirts and knickers and stuff. Um, but they were trying over there to change things the way they were. And that was where I was alerted to child sex dolls. And I thought, well, where have we got to where someone needs a child sex doll? I mean, I would have thought that would have been just illegal across the globe to own something like that. Because as you said before, the next step, not probably not for everybody, but a lot of people would be, well, I've done this now and now I want to try the real thing. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, so when we, when we first started our campaign, the only states that it was illegal was Florida, which is where we are, which we were grateful for, but Florida, Tennessee, and Kentucky. Um, I, I do think Canada has it illegal and Australia as well. Um, but pretty much, you know, everywhere else that we were looking into had not banned it. And, you know, there is no federal legislation here in the United States. Um, but it was actually because partly because of our petition, at least um, cited, that Hawaii uh, went and made legislation. Um, you know, this could have happened totally separate from us, but they did cite our our campaign and yeah. our organization and some of the evidence that, that we found, which shows that it's directly tied to hands-on abusers, that, you know, these aren't individual offenses. Um, so I would argue the same thing about uh, Japan and those type of cafes. And certainly if the children are underage, um, I certainly hope they're uh, engaging in laws that will crack down on that. I, I do know that we we have an instructor in Japan who trains our technology. Yep. And she was telling me too that some of the laws had really just changed there, really making it a lot better for her job to be able to go after these kind of offenders. Yeah. Look, and and I guess we've got countries that are, are poorer. There was also another documentary, and I can't remember, but the the name of the uh the um they made a computer-generated child. Oh, I can't remember what it was called, but then they put it out on the web and all these people started, like, wanting to have conversations with it. And yeah. do you remember the name of the doll? No, but I can picture it completely in my mind. It was the robot that really yeah, looked And it was just terrific. unbelievable to see how many people were logging on, wanting to chat to, and it was a childlike computer-generated thing. Yeah, um, unbelievable. And, and how do you think the dark web and the use of like USB sticks, um, digital photography have probably increased child abuse? Because back in the day when you had to take your camera in to get the film developed, it would have been a lot harder for people to actually access these things or be able to print them unless they could print them themselves. Whereas nowadays with computers and USBs, you can share things, hundreds and thousands of files, pretty much undetected, can't you? Yeah, we really have seen this problem just explode since the internet has started. And so even as internet has evolved, the problem's gotten even bigger. So yeah. before the internet, like you mentioned, people 
had subscriptions to magazines. There was like an underground magazine uh, culture and the FBI would quickly figure out whose home that was going to and make the arrest of those individuals. And then even early on, um, before we were monitoring the internet and uh, before there was, uh, you know, chat rooms and peer-to-peer networks, people would take their computer into a a shop to get it repaired. And those type of people would find some, you know, illegal files and report that to law enforcement. Uh, But now we've just seen this problem explode. It's, it's so easy uh, to download a video that they can download, you know, thousands in one day. If you think about when the internet first came out, it would take you a good half an hour to an hour to download a video. Um, Now they can download it, view it, and even delete it off their hard drives, or they're saving it to, you know, tiny little devices in their house. Uh, So law enforcement really has to be creative and being able to find this evidence, be able to track who's doing it. And that's what I think we do a great job at Child Rescue Coalition is we're not just tracking, you know, who's trading it right now or or who in your area is doing this. We track everybody. We uh, prioritize and, and try to triage who the worst of the worst offenders are by who has the most files, who's trading graphic file types, uh, who's trading even how-to manuals or grooming documents that that teach predators how to gain access to children and how to find them. Uh, So we rank these individuals with who we think are most dangerous, most likely to be hands-on, and provide law enforcement with really all that they need to do to get to the doorstep of that offender. There's a lot of work that goes into it after that because they've got to find the devices, find the evidence, do the prosecution, and ultimately get a conviction of of the offender. Um, But we try to make that one step of finding the predator that much easier for the investigator. Just what you said there, I hadn't even thought of all those different things that you have to try and track and work through. I mean, you're doing an absolutely massive job, aren't you? Yes, we have. It's really billions of pieces of data. Um, We take in uh, 30 to 50 uh, million records a day of people trading this type of 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 illegal content. And um, when we talk about individual computers or unique IP addresses, we've tracked over 72 million individual IP addresses in possession of at least one file or more. Yeah. Uh, so it's really, the problem is huge. Uh, so it's really trying to tackle it in that way. Of let's figure out who's the worst, who's trading the worst kind of content and give law enforcement at least somewhat manageable uh, workload to be able to find these offenders. So how long have you been doing the Child Rescue Coalition? So we, I started doing this in 2013, but we actually became an official nonprofit in 2014. Yep. Um, so we've been doing this for about eight years now. Um, but I got into this because this technology was actually built and developed at my father's company. Wow. So he had really made a name for himself in background investigative uh, databases where yeah. law enforcement could have a, have a tool at their fingertips to go on their computer and look up a suspect's vehicle or criminal history or even you know addresses of where they might be located. Um, even in instances where a child was kidnapped and let's say a person got that it was a white car and they got three numbers of the license plate. Uh, The database provided a tool to put that information in and come up with a suspect list. Um, And this was back in the early nineties. So really revolutionary to uh, data investigation and really changing the way law enforcement does its work. Um, but to him, rather than all the crime types that used his tools, what motivated him the most was child exploitation to to help if if a child was being harmed or endangered, or obviously a kidnapping or abduction. Yeah. And he always donated his technologies that he built for free to law enforcement when a child was being uh, harmed or yeah. or missing. And he became really good friends. There's 
in the United States, uh, John and Rave Walsh are a very well-known family in child protection where their son, Adam went missing when, um, when he, I believe was seven years old. Um, and ultimately was found to be murdered by a predator here in South Florida. And at the time there was no organization to go to for what you do to report a missing child. And the FBI wouldn't even take the lead of a missing child. Um, They really revolutionized the way that child exploitation cases were handled. Um, But John and my dad became very good friends. Um, My dad donated all of his technology to the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children um, and actually sat on the board of that organization. Um, But it was actually, he met the team of law enforcement, my father did, who was, who had this idea to track these peer-to-peer networks, uh, find these predators that are trading all this illegal content. And he just thought it was brilliant. And it was really kind of rudimentary at the time. And the police department had the idea and the, you know, the, the, the start of the tool but didn't have the funding to have it capable to be taking in all these leads from all over, all over the world. Yep. Um, they were actually going to cut the project. They said, we can't fund this. We can't do it. So he said, bring that team of law enforcement to South Florida. And not only am I going to work with them, but I'm going to put all of my programmers and all of my technical know-how into yep. building the best tool that can be to find missing ch- children and to you know identify predators um, and find child sex abusers. And so, and he did that and really made it, it just an amazing technology. And it was actually in 2013, he passed away really suddenly and unexpectedly. My sister and I led that organization, which was a for-profit and his background investigative tool. Yep. Uh, 140 employees. We led that company for a year and ultimately sold it to TransUnion, which is a credit bureau yep. uh, here in the US. And then they, um, while we were selling the company, we actually had a few different buyers of the company. We didn't know what they would think about this one team that's a whole independent tool identifying. Uh, child predators. Yep. And it was always free. It was always like the feel good heartbeat of the company. Um, and so we negotiated with all the bidders that we wanted to maintain ownership of this department and this tool. Um, so that's exactly what we did. When we sold the company, we carved this out and we still maintain ownership of the technology. And that's when we started Child Rescue Coalition. And we wanted to make sure that it continued to be free, um, which the public and corporations have been amazing and enabling us to keep it free for law enforcement. Um, And really what we've been grateful to do because we really believe we don't want, because a, a law enforcement agency is small or maybe the country doesn't have the funding for it we don't want to turn someone down because they can't afford to pay for this technology we want to get it into the hands of everybody and that's brilliant because if you think of third world countries who wouldn't be able to afford this and i would say probably child um exploitation is probably higher due to um a myriad of different things uh, to do with families and stuff like that. So to have it happening in those third world countries and they, them being able to access it is just brilliant. Yeah, absolutely. They wouldn't have the the funding to be able to pay for it. Even small cities in the United States wouldn't be able to pay right, for yeah. a proactive tool, but certainly third world countries. And you're totally right. Um, hugely because of poverty issues that we see so much of this crime type happening. Yeah. I, I just wanted to bring in here because talking about child sex exploitation, um, I did watch a documentary. I watch a lot of documentaries, but I watched one in, about America and it was saying about how uh, from one side of America, like say California to New York, what was happening were uh, young girls were being picked up off the street, ferried to the other side of the country and then being used as prostitutes and their families had no idea what had happened to them. They just gone missing. Um, and, and, you know, 
I mean, we were just talking about the third world and that's why I bring this in because it's not just things that happen in the third world. It happens in our own countries. And something like that was something I'd never thought of, like taking a child from one side of the country to the other. They have no phone. They have no way of getting in contact with their family. They might be put on drugs to be used as prostitutes. So it, it can happen anywhere on the planet, can't it? It's not that because we're a first world country, it doesn't happen here. Oh, absolutely. So much of it is happening right here. Um, and yeah, it can happen to anyone, all types of families, all types of neighborhoods. Um, and most often the crime types that we're seeing, the type of predators, it's it's even not that stranger ad- abduction where it's, you know, taking a child um, and taking them. It's actually someone that the family has welcomed in. It's someone that's trusted within the community yeah. and unfortunately is using that power to abuse a young child. Uh, so really it's why we have to be cautious of who we allow access to our kids, um, you know, and really kind of thinking, you know, why does this person want this alone time with my child or, you know, yeah. why are they showing them this special attention in this way? Yeah. And they're, they're um, things that you need to be aware of, aren't they? Because I guess if, if you know, the guy, uh, a brother-in-law or whoever comes and says, I want to take a child to a theme park, you go, great, I'm going to have the afternoon to myself. They'll be looked after. And you, it wouldn't cross your mind that something could happen. And I'm not saying to people, anytime someone comes in and says oh, they want to take their niece or nephew or out, that that's going to happen. But they are things to be wary of, aren't they? Yes. And that's the, I think you said that just perfect is that, you know, we can't say to everyone, oh, if anyone wants to spend time with my child, it's an absolute no. There, You just have to think about, you know, who do I know well? Who do I trust really well? And I, I know their intentions. I say this, and that's, that's very difficult because a lot of times families have, you know, have been affected. They, they felt that way. Um, but I guess, but, I guess yeah. what you'd want to do is just check in with your child when they came back and, you know, yes. say, how have you been? What did you do? Was it good? Did you have fun? Are you okay? You know, and, and because you would notice something from them if something, I would imagine you would notice something if something had happened. They might like try and turn their head to the other way because they don't want to speak to you or that they, you can see that they're lying to you or, you know, but yeah, it, it's a very, it's a very gray area, isn't it? To sort of, and we don't want everybody to be paranoid, but then we want people to be a bit more vigilant. Absolutely. And yeah, great point about communication. I think that's that's just it. And sometimes predators are even looking for children who might not have that parental figure in their life that's, you know, asking all those questions and want to know that. So staying involved, being involved with your child, like asking uh, just the simple questions about how their day went. Like, who they played with, what they did. Um, it's it's really important. And so not only having those conversations about who they're going to the park with or, you know, who they were played with on a play date, but who they're talking to online and who they're communicating with. Do they know this person in real life? Um, you know, are games that they're playing online, are they talking to people that they don't know? And what kind of questions are they being asked? It's all really important for parents to have that communication. And you've just brought that up perfectly because I was just about to ask you about social media and I'd forgotten about gaming, but gaming is another place where, Uh, predators do find children because they're probably a bit older. They're really good at the game. The child comes in, starts playing a game. They offer to help them. They say, I'm 14 and, you know, they're 40 or 50. And the child likes them because this person's helping them to play the game, win awards. So it's actually in a game, it would be a lot easier to, I guess, groom a child because if you're getting help and you're soaring up the ranks and you're getting all these special powers in the game, you know, you're thinking, wow, this person's amazing. They're helping me become what I want to be. And in reality, they're grooming them and the child's got no idea because they think they're just being helped in a game. Yeah, that really is. Look, when we talk to law enforcement and ask them, what, what's your tip to parents? What, what crime, you know, what type of uh, things do you see um, predators using in this crime type? And it is those gaming platforms. And because we tell kids too, we tell parents to tell their children, don't talk to people you don't know online. 
And that's the tricky part with the games is they start to build that relationship. They think it's their friend. No, right. I've been yeah. talking to him every day yeah. for a year. Um, yeah. We've built this relationship. And so sometimes predators are that good at it where they develop that friendship, that bond before they even take it to that sexual level um, yeah. uh, and try to abuse the child. Um, so really, yeah, reminding kids Young kids, I recommend parents just completely turn off any kind of chat component at all. There, yeah. If the kids don't know that the game has it, why even enable it for the young child to see, you know, insulting words or, or possibly bad things or be contacted by a predator? So that's what I do with my kids. They're young enough where they don't even know that those games have chat components. Right. It's it's trickier as they get older. Um, but I'm even starting the communication with them at a young age that the reason we don't talk to people online is a lot of times they are pretending to be people that they're not. So like yeah. you said, they could be the 50 year old guy pretending to be a kid like them. Uh, and it's, it's good to prepare them for, you know, what they probably will likely come across online. And another interesting thing you just brought up there is that it's not necessarily someone who is going to start playing a game and then in two weeks start introducing sexual content to the to the conversation. Right. It could be a year down the track and they just play the game with this kid for a year and then they start. It could be two years. You know, some some of these guys I imagine are playing a long game so that they completely get the trust of this person, um, you know, yeah. and... If it's that long, then you are thinking, this is my friend. And if your mum or dad says, who are you talking to? Oh, it's my friend, Ben. I've been talking to him for years. You know, we've got such a good relationship. And you wouldn't think anything other than that because you'd think, well, they've been friends two years. Obviously, there's nothing going on. But, you know, some of these guys can play the long game. Yeah, they do. They play a long game and they cast a wide net. So they're talking to lots of different children trying to see, you know, who's interested in, you know, they're giving them compliments and, you know, praising them. And, and they're looking for that child that is almost, you know, wanting that type of relationship of, 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 of I say that in a, in a way of wanting somewhat that adult attention and, you know, taking advantage of that and taking that to the next level of abusing them. Yeah. Look, I think when we see some of these, um, crime shows on TV um, and they're talking about a paedophile or um, a sexual abuser because it's cut from, I don't know, six months into a five-minute segment, it makes it look as though, well, this happens quickly. You know, they find them online, they start talking. Within a week, they're, you know, trying to meet up with them. Whereas in actual fact, there are a lot of people who will play the long game and so you just need to check in with your kids from time to time. Who's this you're talking to? Where are they from? Blah, blah, blah. Could I have a chat to them? You know, maybe I could say, you know, do they want to come for dinner or, you know, to try and trick them out or, or work out, are you really a real person? Or can I speak to their mum? Can I have their number so we can get to know each other? You know, those sort of things, at least you're safeguarding a little bit. Yeah, and definitely having those communications and trying to encourage children into let's only talk to people that online that we know in real life. And yeah really trying to paint the picture of, you know, there's not all these magical people you're going to meet on the internet. A lot of them aren't who they say they are, and, you know, can be really dangerous. And if they're not sexual predators, they could be uh, fraudsters or, you know, trying to get information to steal from you. And it's really can be dangerous to let strangers in. Yes. So what about social media, Facebook, Instagram? I know Instagram recently, we're going to launch an Instagram for kids and now they've put that on the back burner, which I think is a great thing um, yeah. because you don't actually have to show a driver's license or anything. When you join up to Facebook or Instagram, you just put in your details and they pretty much take you as your face value. So stopping something like Instagram for kids, I think is good, but what happens on Instagram, Facebook, those sort of things that parents need to be aware of and children need to be aware of. Yeah. So parents are very young children. We, uh, we start by talking about that parents just need to pause before you post and think about what it is that you're putting out there. Even yeah. 
innocent photos, maybe your child won't want them to live in their digital footprint for the rest of their life. Yeah. Uh, but questions to think about before the parent is posting a picture of their infant or toddler is, um, and then even school age child is to think about, am I exposing too much? Am I exposing too much information about where we live? Am I exposing any nudity of, of this child? Um, yeah. Because most parents know not to do that, but there are a lot that don't know because to them it's innocent and cute and playful. And they don't even think of what could happen. You know, right. I mean, I've seen pictures of uh, cousins and friends uh, like at a day at the beach and their child is in shorts, like boy child, no top on. And, you know, it's just a lovely family picture. But to other people, it's something that they can trade or, you know, so we just see it as, as normal, but other people don't. They take advantage. And we have seen pe people in these predators' collection of illegal content of abuse. We see uh, put into their collection images and pictures that are don't raise to the level, rise to the level of being illegal, but they're of other people's children that they've taken from social media content that you know yeah. they find interesting. And so, yeah, and and I definitely I don't tell parents to not post on social media. It's just think about those things. Yeah. Also, if you want to take that picture on the beach, take it and and share it in a absolutely closed non social media way. Um, yeah. Maybe don't share it at all. Or, you know, there are some safe ways where you're just in a closed group. It's not a social media platform and it's only with a select few of family members, you know, it's, it's, and it's not illegal nudity images of children. Yeah. So in something like Facebook, if you were to have um, just friends who could view your stuff, is that a safer way to be? I guess it's safer than anyone being able to see it, but is that still a safe way or, or should it be less than that? Uh, yes. Yeah, so that's what we encourage is we, what we've seen is that 90% of children have had pictures put of them online um, by their family. Um, so 90% before the age of five have a, a social media presence. Um, and we don't encourage parents to stop posting, but yes, definitely. Uh, also what we've seen is 89% of parents haven't checked their social media privacy settings in over a year. And as we know, those change all the time. So check your privacy settings, make sure that you know, you know, the people that you're friends with and it's friends only and that you're thinking about what you're putting out there. Don't share information about where they go to school or where they live uh, and really think about that. Uh, but the thing that I would say, though, is as we were talking, these predators are sometimes our friends or our family, yeah. right? Yeah. It's people you don't expect. It's yeah. the community leader or, you know, someone who is connected within your community. So you could be putting pictures out there that you find very innocent and someone else is looking at it in a very different way. So you just have to think about that when you're sharing. And I think some of these uh, things like Snapchat and uh, other social media things nowadays, uh, when you go to share a photo, it says, would you like to share like your whole album or selected photos? So if you're yeah. going to share something, always click selected photos and just select the ones you want to share. Otherwise, they've got access to your whole photo album on, on your phone. Yes. Another important thing, too, is you can turn off the location settings yes. so if you go into your phone and make sure that that those location um is actually turned off and you're not sharing that kind of information but yeah you would want to only share the photos that you mean to to share um and and yeah not any kind of other kind of information oh another thing i wanted to bring up was hashtags so that was part of the campaign that we released which was the pause before you post but people sometimes they'll have their their profile set to private. They're doing all the right things, um, but they're sharing that image that might be a bath time fun or oh, hashtag yeah. beach day, be kids beach day. And because it's a hashtag, it becomes an open searchable thing. So even when yeah. your profile is private, uh, these pictures become public. So, wow. so you can still use hashtags, just don't have anything that could draw predator attention to it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And look, I wanted to ask you as well. So 
in this sort of work that you're doing, how do you look after your mental health? I know. So luckily at Child Rescue Coalition, we get the information from law enforcement, which tells us the serial number of how which files are illegal and which aren't. So we have over a million known database of these known illegal files that our computers are out there searching for. But why I mentioned that is the good thing about that. It's almost like a serial uh, ID um, that our computers track, but we don't have to actually view the imagery. Ah, good, good, good. And, and it would be illegal for us to possess it or view it because we're yep. citizens. We're not law enforcement. Yeah. Uh, so we're able to track these computers with never having to see this content. That's I, really good because when you were talking, I was thinking, do you have to look at all this no. stuff before you hand it on? So that's a good thing, isn't it? Very good. I don't think I'd be able to do what I do if I did. Yeah. And the the sad truth is though that these law enforcement officers, they do have to look at it. They have yeah. to review the content. They've got to make sure the evidence is what it is. Um, and then if they find new content, they push those serial code numbers to us so we can start searching for new content. Uh, but for those officers, their mental health is, is it's a difficult situation where they're even having to go on mental health retreats. Um, they get checked in by a psychologist because and their job is is rotating often where law enforcement will just say, I can't do this anymore. I need a different crime type because it's too it affects yeah. me too bad. So I I feel I feel like we get the positive side of it where we get to hear about the success of a new arrest, a new rescue of a child. Uh, and luckily, we don't actually have to see the content itself. Yeah, because, look, I saw another documentary which was on people who uh, scan Google for when people put images up and they have to look at the image and then actually type what the actual thing is. Like if it's a lady's breasts, it's breasts. Um, And they said that some of the stuff they come across is just horrific and they have to either get rid of it or they have to put a a title to it. So when it's searched, people can find it easily. And, And they were saying that in those sort of jobs, um, in that sort of job, they they would last probably around six to eight months before they were just burnt out from seeing all these violent images, suicides, all that sort of stuff. So, yeah, I'm glad you're not actually having to look at any of this stuff. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm sure. I love that you watch so many documentaries because I love to watch them too. So, <laughs> look, I, I just I learned so much from watching all these documentaries. Yeah. And as we're talking, these are these things that I've seen are coming back into my head, and that's why I can ask you because you, you know what these things are and i mean it's been a, a an absolutely brilliant uh conversation you've you've opened up things in my head that i hadn't thought about to do with this and uh, i mean i said to you before we started the podcast that you know for me this is one of the worst things that can happen to any child in their life physical sexual uh, emotional um children should be taken care of and seen through to adulthood so that they can start their journey into adulthood without any of this stuff happening so what you're doing is completely phenomenal it's amazing and yeah if you can save one child a day brilliant if you're saving thousands a year absolutely brilliant you know it's well done to you for well you and your sister for putting this together and and, and carrying on what your dad started. It's amazing. Yeah. Well, thank you. And I, again, I really appreciate you talking so much about it, you know, knowing so much about it too, and, and really being thoughtful uh, with wanting your, your followers to be able to know about this as well. Oh, I I did want to, just before I go, I just quickly remembered people can donate to your organization. How do they donate? Yeah. So please uh, go to childrescuecoalition.org. Uh, not only can you donate, but please sign up for our newsletter, which we tell you about our recent arrests and some of our training that we're doing in new countries, new areas, um, or maybe a case that we're working on right where you live. Uh, but please, we do this by support. So uh, we're able to keep this technology free and available to law enforcement. And not only that, we keep it improving. We're, we're always finding new areas where we have to start tracking and identifying this type of predators. So on our website, childrescuecoalition.org, you can sign up to be um, a donor on our donate page or even a monthly giver where you can give $25 a month to support this cause. And it allows us to train more officers 
get this technology in the hands of um, more law enforcement and be able to identify more predators and rescue more children. So we've really been able to do this with the community support. Well, look, I actually found you on Instagram and that's where I read your stories uh, daily or every couple of days um, to keep me informed of what's going on. And uh, I usually share them with my business partner and say, hey, look, I've just read this one and she'll have a read of it too. But I will definitely be donating this afternoon um, and I will be signing up for your newsletter. And look, I think maybe next year, mid next year we touch base again and do another podcast to keep this highlighted talk about what what's been happening for you in those six months and just keep it in everybody's mind that this is what happens and we can all do our little bit and if you don't want to be involved in helping then donate because that $25 a year that you donate could help you save one child two children put someone in the right direction of finding someone who's doing something wrong because we need to we, we need to be more vigilant on this Absolutely. Yes. We appreciate all the community support and people who want to be activists about this mission. Brilliant. Okay. Well, thank you, Carly, so much for your time. Yeah. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. Well, that was another episode of Life Changes You. If you want to contact us, we're available on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And we also have a website, lifechangesyou.com.au. So until next time, take care of each other and thanks for listening.